Well, again, welcome and thank you for joining us. My name is George Davis and I want to thank you for joining us for our Easter services this year here at the Hershey Free Church. Now, as I begin, I'm going to begin maybe with a, a question that sounds a little odd. And the question is this. Has this ever happened to you? You, you come home, maybe it's been a full day at work, or you, you, you know, it's been one of those tiring days and you kind of just sit down in front of the television uh, because you just want to decompress and you start scrolling through your options. And, and I don't know about you, sometimes it's like you can do that forever and ever. But has it ever happened that as you scroll for options, somehow you land on one of those shows that is all about home remodeling. You know what I mean? And come on, has that happened to anybody? I mean, am I the only one? The truth is, I don't have cable at home because I could not trust myself in in some of those situations. But when I travel, sometimes I find myself in a hotel room just locked into HGTV because, you know, there's just something about watching some of the shows that entail this home remodeling, you know, all the uh, different options we've got from Extreme Makeover to Property Brothers, Zombie House Flipping, Fixer Upper. And you're just drawn in. And what I think is fascinating to me is is simply seeing the way sometimes an old, outdated, even dilapidated house can be brought back to life. And for me, over the last couple of years, I actually had the opportunity to kind of walk through one of these projects in real time because my sister, my brother-in-law, and their family did a makeover of an old home in Fort Worth, Texas, and we got to see pictures all along the way. So let me just, hear just a couple of kind of the before shots. I think I've got another one. And then let me show you a couple of the after shots. I know, I know, I know. Just want you to know that that decorating gene didn't get passed to me. So, um, and I actually remember right before the project was finished, I was visiting family, so I got to walk through this house. And it was just, it was amazing to see this old home just come to life. It was amazing to see, you know, the old wood floors restored. And here's my question. We're fascinated and captivated, right, when a home is brought back to life like this, when it's restored to its original character and beauty. But my question is, can this, <laughs> can this happen to people? Because you, you see, as it turns out, over time, just like those houses... We, we can become dated and worn down. Damaged relationally, broken emotionally and spiritually. Worn down by disappointments and regrettable decisions and choices. Worn down by unexpected circumstances and things done to us. So can what we see happen to those houses happened to us? Let me, let me reword the question slightly and, and ask you this. Along those lines, do you, do you believe that people can change? Now let me make it a little more personal and ask, do you believe 
that you can change. These questions really lead us, I think, to the significance of Easter because in different ways, in different ways, the the authors of the New Testament actually communicate this simple message. And it's really just what I want to talk about, just three words tonight. And the simple message I'm talking about is this. Resurrection leads to restoration. Resurrection leads to restoration. Now, to show you what I mean, let me compare two ancient letters for you. I want to take you back to the first century and and for a moment just compare two different letters that were really written in roughly the same time frame. The first, and I've actually got a copy of it here, the first is a letter written by this guy. It's a a depiction of a, a Roman aristocrat who'd been a very successful politician, also an extensive letter writer by the name of Pliny the Younger. He goes by the Younger because his dad was famous as well. And this is a letter written to a guy named Sabianus. And this guy apparently had an individual in his employment who was a freedman, that is, This guy had once been a slave, but now he'd been freed and he'd continue to work in this household. But somehow this guy did something that was wrong. We don't know what it is. He did something to get himself into trouble. We don't know if he stole. We don't know if he were just a, you know, really an unreliable employee. He does something that really gets him in trouble with his boss. And so he runs away. And ultimately he he runs to this guy. Because he knows, this guy knows his boss, and maybe he can serve as an intermediary. As it turns out, uh, Pliny intervenes in the situation. And he gives this individual a harsh warning. In fact, he describes it this way. It was important for me to frighten him. Right? You know the kind of speech. Don't you ever do this again? You're not going to get a second chance. Don't let this happen again. Maybe some of you have had that kind of speech given to you at some point in your employment or in some kind of relationship, right? I'm only telling you this once. You're not going to be able to do this again. This is just the one time you're going to be able to get away with this. And so Pliny gives him that harsh warning. Then he basically says, look, go back to your boss. Do your job. And then he writes this letter to his boss explaining what he's done. Now, none of this should surprise us because the the Roman Empire was very structured. It was a very structured society, right? You knew your place, act accordingly, stay in line, nobody gets hurt. That's the way life works. And that's exactly what this letter is all about. But that brings me to another letter, again, written in the same time frame, the first century. But given the historical context, the content of this letter is absolutely shocking. This letter is actually one of the letters of Paul the Apostle. It's one of his letters 
that we find in the New Testament. It is the shortest of his letters. And interestingly, the circumstances are, are, are somewhat similar to what it was experienced by Pliny. In this case, there's a slave by the name of Onesimus. And apparently, he's done something wrong. We don't know the details, and this is somewhat debated, but somehow he's gotten into trouble. Once again, maybe he's stolen something. Maybe in some sense, he's been unreliable. And like the earlier individual, he too runs away. But when this guy runs away... He runs, ultimately, to a guy named Paul. Because I think he's convinced that Paul can be an intermediary for him to his boss, his owner, Philemon. And ultimately, just like Pliny, Paul will send Onesimus back, and he will send a letter as well, which is this letter that we have in the New Testament. But this letter, this letter is very different. In the letter to Philemon, Paul opens just by just celebrating God's work in Philemon's life. And just, I I think he's just aware that God's been at work and that, you know, Philemon is apparently a man of some affluence, is just becoming just an agent of grace in the lives of people. He's celebrating his faith, his love, his impact in his community. And after celebrating that, at the beginning of the letter, uh, Paul then gets to the issue of Onesimus. And so we read this. He says, therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. Remember, he's already celebrated the way God's love is already kind of flowing through Philemon. So he's, he's appealing to him on the reality that God's love is already at work in you. And then he says this, it is none other than Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus. By the way, Paul himself is imprisoned or possibly under house arrest at this time. He says, I'm the one now appealing to you, now notice this, for my son, Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly, he, he was useless to you. And by the way, that's, that's kind of a, that's a play on Onesimus' name because his name actually means useful. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. Now, notice how Paul, notice how he describes this situation. He doesn't go after this runaway slave. He he now describes him in these terms. He's he's become my son. Now, what does that mean? Well, I can only imagine kind of what led up to this point. Again, we don't know what Onesimus did. And uh, quite possibly, you know, he messed up somehow. And, you know, he's just looking for ways to get by. And so he kind of thinks, well, there's this guy named Paul. He knows he knows Philemon. Make it, maybe he can help out. And he makes his way there. And, you know, perhaps he's got a checkered past already because of some of the things he did that have forced him to run away. And now he comes to Paul. Somehow in the midst of that relationship, 
he becomes a follower of Jesus. I, I think that's what Paul means as he's now become my son. And notice he says he became my son while I was in chains. It was, you know, he shows up, he tells this crazy story. Maybe he's putting the blame on other people. We don't know. We don't know what those conversations are like. But in the midst of that, as they got to know each other, he became a follower of Jesus. And, and Paul now then describes him as my son. And, and we get the feeling that even if there were some kind of checkered things and Onesimus' past, you know, is the, I mean, maybe this guy was just a con artist in some ways, always figuring out how to work the angles, and that got him into trouble. We don't know what it was, but we get the feeling that whatever was part of his past, things are now beginning to change. Because he says, look, I know, he, I know, look, I know what he did. I know, look, I, he told me the story. I, I got the dirt. I know what happened. I know he was useless. But now he's become useful. You, you see, he's, he's become part of the family. And, and God's restorative work is now beginning to take root in his life. That's what Paul is saying. And then Paul continues. And I think now we really get to Paul's request. Notice verses 15 and following. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a while, a little while, was that you might have him back. But notice this. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave is a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dear to you, both as a fellow man, and notice this, and as a brother in the Lord. Do you hear what Paul is saying? Look, I think he's, he's fully cognizant. We're not going to whitewash what happened, right? I know what happened. I know the stories. I know why he's here. But Philemon, you need to understand that in the course of our interaction, he's become a follower of Jesus in God's work of transformation has started. And therefore, Philemon, you, you need to realize that in light of this, you, me, Onesimus, we're, we're now all part of the same family. We're, we're part of the same movement. This, right, this movement of, of God's transforming work. We're, we're now in this together. Do you get that, Philemon? This is what God has been doing in his life. Therefore, notice how he continues. <laughs> so if you consider me a partner, and I'm sure he does, listen to this. Welcome him as you would welcome me. And if he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, Charge it to me. That's an incredible statement to be made in the first century. 
So grab hold of what Paul is saying here. Paul did not say, look, I gave him a stern warning. I frightened him. I told him, don't you ever do this again, and I'm going to send you back, and one more time, and you're out. You're really in trouble. That's not what Paul says. Paul says, Philemon, look, something radical has happened in Onesimus' life. He's become a follower of Jesus. And because he has become a follower of Jesus, because he's been restored in his relationship with God, he can now be restored in his relationship with you. So I'm sending him back, but I'm sending him back better than a slave. I'm sending him back as your own brother. So receive him as you would me. Now, you just need to understand, nobody says this in the first century. And I think ultimately, what Paul is asking for is this. In saying, I want you to receive him as you would receive me, I think he is asking, I want you to free him. And I really think what Paul wants is, and I would love it if you would Send him back to me. Look, I know, I know he messed up big time, but I want you to know, while he was here, as we got to know each other, as he became, you know, he became a follower of Jesus and God really began doing a work in his life, he's actually become really helpful and meaningful to me here. So I think if you read between the lines, what Paul is actually asking is this, I want you to liberate him as a brother in Christ. And I want you to send him back to me so this relationship and this shared ministry that we have started, we can continue. Now, as it turns out, we don't know how Philemon responded. Nonetheless, I think the fact that this letter has been preserved suggests that he responded positively to Paul's request. In fact, and this is really where it gets interesting. In fact, there is later evidence from another Christian author that an individual by the name of Onesimus, and I think it's perhaps the same guy, an individual by the name of Onesimus became bishop of Ephesus, and here's how he was described. He was described as a man of inexpressible love. And if this is the same guy, think about what has happened in his life by the end of his story. Despite despite all the missteps and craziness, and again, we don't know what he did, that he flees, and we don't know how much trouble he had gotten into before he meets Paul, but despite all the missteps and the miscalculations and the unexpected circumstances, by the end of his story, his was a life restored. Now, a question I ask you is this. Why are these two letters, which are so similar in terms of context, in terms of circumstances, why are these two letters so different? Right? 
regardless of what you think about Christ or Christianity or the resurrection, I think it seems clear these two letters are very different. In fact, one scholar has said this as he describes these two letters. He says these two letters breathe a different air. So why? Why does Paul write in such a way that is so out of context in a first century Roman environment? Well, perhaps the answer is found in one of his earlier letters written to another early church community. In 2 Corinthians, he takes time in chapter 5 to talk about Christ's crucifixion and and his resurrection. And then he builds on that by saying this. In light of the cross, in light of the resurrection, from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, right, if anyone has started this journey of following Jesus, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the ministry of reconciliation. Now, in reality, when you see what's going on between Paul and Onesimus, And when you see how that relationship then leads to this letter that Paul sends to Philemon, what we are experiencing is simply the outworking of what Paul is describing in this passage in 2 Corinthians 5. Paul says, look, whenever someone becomes a follower of Jesus, there is new creation. There is God's work of redemption and forgiveness and transformation that is now underway. And he says this new creation is made possible through the cross and resurrection of Christ. And that's a work that we receive by faith, by trust. And therefore, through faith, we can be reconciled, restored in our relationship with God And that commitment to Jesus, that beginning of the journey of following Jesus, begins the process of God's restorative work in our lives. Restoration, or excuse me, resurrection, leads to restoration. That's what Paul is saying, and that's what Onesimus experienced. Now, I realize at this point... You may say, okay, George, I realize that's how the Bible talks about the resurrection, but I still struggle to believe that Jesus was actually raised from the dead. And maybe you would say, you know, weren't those just simpler people back then? I think that's sometimes how we might read these passages from the New Testament. Well, those are great questions, and and I'd love to have a longer conversation. If you can just contact me at gdavis at hersheyfree.com and we can get together and have a fuller conversation about the resurrection. But in the meantime, let me, just, let me just highlight two things for you. First of all, if, if you're kind of just wondering, I'm, I'm just not even sure I can believe in the resurrection. Let me just invite you to think again about Jesus' followers. Remember, they were Jews, They did believe in the resurrection, but they believed in the resurrection at the end of time. 
They weren't working with assumptions that somehow God's Messiah would be crucified and resurrected in the middle of time. They just didn't have those categories. This is why, right, I mean, when you read the Gospels, remember what happens when the first witnesses report that the tomb is empty? The disciples don't look at each other and go, wow, it's about time. They rush to the tomb because they don't believe the report. They didn't have the categories to to believe at that moment that this had actually happened. They had to see it for themselves. Secondly, don't simply think about the Jews and those Jewish disciples. Also think about the Romans. And one of the things you have to understand about the Romans was they were masters at squelching insurrection movements. And during the the Roman occupation of Palestine, of Israel, there were multiple leaders who showed up and led messianic-like movements, in some ways very similar to Jesus. These were guys like Thutis, Judas the Galilean, Simon bar Kokhba, guys you probably never heard of. And the reason is this. When they died, their movements died. When the Romans intervened in their situation, that was the end of the story. Yet this didn't happen when Jesus was crucified. Something was different this time. And arguably the most plausible explanation is the simplest. Jesus was raised from the dead. So there really are reasons to believe that Jesus was raised from the dead and that his resurrection can lead to restoration in your life, in mine. In fact, I think if if Paul were here, he would look at you and say, what I want for you What I want for you is to experience this new creation. I want you to experience God's forgiveness, God's renewing work, God's healing work, God's transforming work that comes through the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And even as that was true in his life, as it was true in the lives of Philemon and Onesimus, it can, it can be true in your life as well. For instance, for some of us, I think, just like those houses we talked about a few minutes ago, for some of us, we can become run down and weathered over time at the very core of who we are due to things we've done, due to things that have been done to us, circumstances we have experienced. And as a result, we can become locked in unhealthy patterns of thinking, often patterns to simply protect ourselves. For some of us, at the deepest part of who we are, we feel unworthy. 
We struggle to think that we have value. It's hard for us to see things that are new, and it's, it's just like we're at times stuck in this whirlpool of negativity. Sid Hawksclaw is a writer who in some of her writing describes her own life experience. And she describes her early childhood this way. She said, you know, her father tragically died when she was young. And at age five, her mother remarried. As it turns out, her stepfather had grown up in an abusive family. And he just didn't know how to relate well. He wanted to be a good father. But he spoke out of the abusive identity that his family had given him. Consequently, as she grew up, his words to her were often things like these. How could you be so stupid? You'll never learn. How many times do I have to tell you? Fill in the dots. Do you ever think before you do things? As she grew up, those were the recurring messages that she heard Over time, those would be the recurring messages that would weather and wear down her soul. And as she writes, she said, you know, over time, she said, these these were the messages that played in my mind. And she said, no matter how how many good things were happening around me, or no matter how brilliant the circumstances of my life were, she said, "I, I just assumed it would all fall apart at any moment. And of course, it would be my fault. Furthermore, with these patterns of thinking came unhealthy ways of coping, unhealthy ways of relating, unhealthy dating relationships. But eventually she became friends with a group of people who were followers of Jesus. And she said, I wanted what they had. And their friendship was was influential and her coming to faith and her journey of following Jesus. And while that was transformational, she's very honest. She says, you know, at times my journey has been very discouraging because the old messages were still there. She said, I, I, I read passages like the one we just read from 2 Corinthians 5, you know, where Paul says, look, if you're in Christ, there is new creation. And she said, look, uh, where is this new creation That's not always how I feel. And she said over time, I I, I became, I just became aware that this was going to be a journey of growth and transformation. And at times while this statement from Paul was a statement of reality and fact, at times that wouldn't always be my experience. But eventually in a time of prayer, she said, God brought to mind a scene from the Gospels. She said, he brought to mind Jesus' baptism and the voice of the Father. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And she said, and that message began to sink in. Replacing those old messages Because she realized, you know, since I am in Christ, since I am now related to Christ, she was now embedded in God's love. She was one in whom 
he is well pleased. And God's restorative activity was at work. Because the resurrection leads to restoration. And that work which Paul describes in the lives of Philemon and Onesimus, that work which this author describes in her own life, that work continues to this day. So what does it look like in your life? What could it look like in your life? If you're not a follower of Jesus, this can be the day that that journey begins. Remember what, <laughs> what Paul said about Onesimus. Again, we don't know the background. He just shows up. There's confusion. There's complexity. Perhaps there's blaming and disappointment. All kinds of chaos. But in the middle of that, he hears the story of Jesus. And the restorative work of God's grace begins. And that can be true for you as well. This restorative work begins as we understand who Christ is. As we understand the reality that he has come, he has died in our place to take the burden for our own sin and brokenness. He has been raised in triumph and victory. And through faith, we become part of this restorative work that is now underway. So if that has yet to be your experience, can I just challenge you, what better, <laughs> what better time to do that than during Easter? This journey begins by simply acknowledging your need and receiving this gift of new life. And you can do that right now. And as a church, we, we just want you to know that we would love to help you understand what that means, what that looks like. We would love to help you understand what this journey of following Jesus entails. And so if this is something you're ready to do or you'd say, you know, this is kind of what I've done recently or I'm still exploring but I would like to know more, let me just give you a next step opportunity because starting next weekend, next Sunday, we've got just a four-week mini-series that's going to be starting on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. at the other end of the building, just, just explaining new life in Christ. So if you're ready to start that journey or you've started that journey and just would like to know more of what it entails, we would love to walk this part of your story with you. Maybe you're already a follower of Jesus, but the truth is, Due to recent circumstances, there's just there are ways in which your soul has become weather-beaten recently. If that's the case, well, will you let the message of Easter remind you that God is not finished with what He is doing in your life? He wants to bring healing 
and renewal to the core of who you are. Because remember, resurrection leads to restoration. Let's pray together. Gracious God, as we come to this little letter in the New Testament, sometimes I think it's hard for us to grapple with how shocking and surprising it really was in the first century. For Paul to write this way, to write in terms of the restoration that he describes, to write this way, only makes sense if Jesus has been raised from the dead. So Father, this Easter, I pray first of all for those who may be here, who are joining us online, perhaps who, kind of, who, who know the story, but there's the real sense that we have yet to begin the journey. I pray that I pray that they would understand that even as Onesimus began that journey, they can do that too by putting their faith and trust in you. I pray that they would also understand that as a church, we'd love to walk that journey with them all along the way. And Father, I also pray for those of us who maybe we've already started the journey of following Jesus. Some of us, it's, it's been a journey of multiple decades, but maybe for different reasons, they're There are just reasons why it just feels like our souls have become more beaten down and weathered over the recent months or even last few years. And I pray perhaps in the midst of (laughs) that weariness that your spirit would bring us back to the truth, that you're not done with us yet. Because of the power that brought Christ back from the dead is at work in us. And you desire to continue your restoring work. So may we be encouraged by that. May we be challenged by that. May we be open to that this Easter. In Jesus' name, amen.